1: Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Mark Schulman. He is the founder and publisher of a multimedia website. It's called historycentral.com. We'll also visit with John Miltimore. He is the editor-at-large at fee.org. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and now author of Murder Mysteries. Terrific writer. His latest book is No Problem. It is January the 28th, and on this day in 1936, the U.S. Baseball Hall of Fame elected its first members in Cooperstown, New York. Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth, Honus Wagner, Christy Mathewson, and Walter Johnson. The Hall of Fame actually had its beginnings in 1935 when plans were made to build a museum devoted to baseball and its 100-year history. A private organization based in Cooperstown called the Clark Foundation thought establishing Baseball Hall of Fame in their city would help reinvigorate the area's depression ravaged economy by attracting tourists. To help sell the idea, the foundation advanced the idea that the U.S. Civil War hero Abner Doubleday invented baseball in Cooperstown. The story proved to be phony, but baseball officials eager to capitalize on the marketing and publicity potential of a museum to honor the game's greats gave their support to the project anyway. In preparation for the dedication of the Hall of Fame in 1939, thought by many to be the centennial of baseball, the Baseball Writers Association of America chose the five greatest superstars of the game as the first class to be inducted. Ty Cobb was the most productive hitter in baseball. Babe Ruth was, of course, the great pitcher, ace pitcher, and one of the greatest home run hitters ever to play the game. Honus Wagler was a versatile star shortstop and batting champion. Christy Mathewson had more wins than any pitcher in National League history, and Walter Johnson, through a blazing fastball, was considered one of the most powerful pitchers to ever take the mound, and he played for the Washington Senators. Today, approximately 350,000 folks visit. The Hall of Fame continues to be the hub of all things baseball. It has elected 278 individuals in all, including 225 players, 17 managers, 8 umpires, and 25, 28 executives and pioneers. This year, the Sportswriter of America elected Adrian Beltry, the great third baseman, Joe Maurer, the great catcher for the Twins, and Todd Helton played for Colorado. They were elected into the Hall of Fame this year. Well, markets ended Friday mixed with uh, Dow reaching the new to all-time high, all three major indexes have at least doubled since the pandemic bottom in March of 2020. Because of tech and the tech industry exclusively, the S&P 500 posted a string of record highs last week. The 10 other sectors in the index all are trading an average of 15% below their average all-time highs, that according to the Wall Street Journal. Nevertheless, it's nice to see the market responding. Uh, Right now, futures are mixed. The defending champion Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers will face off in Super Bowl 858, after both teams won their respective conference championships yesterday. Super Bowl 58 takes place on Sunday, February the 11th, in Las Vegas, and uh, Usher is going to be the halftime show. Well, three U.S. Army soldiers have been killed while at least two dozen service members were injured in a drone attack on a small U.S. outpost in Jordan near the Syrian border, marking the first time U.S. troops have been killed by enemy fire in the Middle East since the beginning of the Gaza War. The incident is a significant escalation of the already precarious situation in the Middle East, and U.S. officials have accused Iran backed militants of being uh, behind the attack. The drone appeared to have come from Syria and bypassed air defenses, making it unclear how an unmanned aircraft slipped by undetected. U.S. Central Command confirmed in a statement that the drone attack was a one way operation that impacted at a base in northeast Jordan. The U.S. forces at the outpost were there as part of the advise and assist mission with Jordan, although officials have described the uh, constant volley of drones, rockets, and missiles as unsuccessful for their failure to cause significant injury or damage. Uh, There's been more than 158 attacks on U.S. and coalition forces in Iraq and Syria since October 2021. President Biden on Sunday responded to the attack along with Jordan-Syria border saying, Uh, While we are still gathering facts of this attack, we know it it was carried out by radical uh, Iran-backed militant groups operating in Syria and Iraq. Uh, Biden also said there would be consequences for those responsible for negotiators are said to be closing in on on a deal that would uh, see a ceasefire in the Gaza Strip for more up to two months in exchange for the release of more than 100 Hamas-held hostages. The majority of these released would be women and the elderly and those needing medical care. Uh, An agreement to return the remaining hostages would be worked out within the first 30 days of the pause in fighting. We'll see how that goes. While former President Donald Trump has widened his lead in the National Republican primary, according to a a morning consult poll, the poll was taken between January 22nd and 24th uh, of uh, 1,297 potential Republican primary voters who indicated they believe Trump had uh, the support of 81% of voters, while Nikki Haley only garnered 18%, a 63-point difference. And yet she still hangs in there. These figures represent a four-point increase for Trump over the previous poll. The survey was conducted after Trump's win in New Hampshire, where he secured a resounding victory. Haley has vowed to press uh, Ford in the race to be the GOP's nominee following her loss in New Hampshire. Haley stated that most Americans do not want a rematch between President Biden and Trump, affirming that the first party to retire its 80-year-old candidate would be the party to win the election. (laughs) Uh, Where'd she get that? I have no idea. But a Reuters Ipsos poll released this week shows that Trump Holds a 40 to 34 percent lead over Joe Biden, with 35% of Americans citing immigration as the top policy concern. In a separate poll, 32 percent uh, said inflation was their number one concern. Well, U.S. Customs and Border Protection on Friday uh, confirmed that the border agents reported more than 300,000 migrant encounters along the nation's southern border with Mexico in December. So the Biden administration has initially warned Texas that it had been until midday Friday to relinquish control of Shelby Park, the nearby boat dock, and the International Bridge. That deadline has come and gone, and instead of there being a major clash between Border Patrol and state-controlled soldiers on the site, it appears that those on the ground have already de-escalated the situation. The Border Patrol Union... and <clears throat> and ends by slamming Biden for creating the current catastrophe and reiterating that there will be no conflict between the CBP agents and their state forces. The statement is a clear signal of support for the Texas National Guard, its mission, and those leading it, including Governor Greg Abbott. Rank-and-file Border Patrol agents appreciate and respect what Texas has been doing to defend their state in the midst of this catastrophic uh, uh, Biden administration has unleashed on America. Furthering the division between the Border Patrol and the White House was a senior uh, Border Patrol official who said that they have no plans to follow through on removing the razor wire put up by Texas. Biden has completely lost whatever leverage he had in that uh, red line in the sand. This is an incredible turn of events. I don't know if mutiny is the right word here, but clearly Biden has no way to enforce his threats at this point. Border Patrol agents are not going to go along with it, in short of using the Insurrection Act to mobilize the U.S. Army. I don't think he'll do that. This represents a major roadblock to the president's attempt to further destroy the southern border. We are in uncharted waters and territory right now, and I'm certainly thankful cooler heads have prevailed, at least at this point. Uh, will this force Biden's hand towards some kind of renewal of enforcement of immigration laws? Surely, and the laws already are in the books. We don't need more laws. Surely, with his bluff having been called by his own law enforcement officials, he has to try a different approach, but never underestimate the propensity of Washington, D.C. politics and politicians to keep making the wrong decisions, especially Joe Biden. Well, a bipartisan group of senators reached a deal on Friday that they are proposing as a solution to the border security part of the supplemental spending bill, That would also include security assistance to Israel, Taiwan, and Ukraine. The text of the bill has not been released, but a source familiar with negotiations confirmed what has already been reported a week ago about the Senate negotiations. Uh, A mandatory shutdown of the border, meaning the Department of Homeland Security, would be required to turn away nearly all migrants attempting to cross the border uh, will only occur once the average uh, daily number of encounters with migrants hits 5,000 per day. So, in other words, let 5,000 migrants' illegal e- entrance into the United States, and if it gets over that, well, we're going to have to shut it down. The Senate deal was negotiated by Senators Kirsten Cinema, uh, John Langford, and Chris Murphy. It would grant the Biden administration a new expulsion authority if the encounters exceeded 4,000 a day. It also is said to require mandatory detention of all single adults, and the migrants caught twice during their so-called shutdown phase would face a one-year ban from entering the United States. Speaker Mike Johnson has already said in a letter obtained by the Washington Examiner this week that if rumors about the contents of the draft proposal are true, it would have to be dead on arrival in the House anyway. Uh, he called, uh, again, for the White House and the Senate negotiators to adopt the transformative corrections included in H.R. 2, the Immigration and Border Security Bill the House passed last year. Senate, uh, Speaker Johnson also stated his plan to move forward with articles of impeachment against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas uh, when the House returns next week. You know, I think they should impeach him, but also how about the president not enforcing the law? He's the boss. He's the one calling the shots, or at least uh, those that represent him uh, in the uh, White House. Well, groups of Americans are traveling Monday to the U.S.-Mexico border crossings in three states where they'll demand the federal government secure the southern border as part of what they call the Take Our Border Back convoy. The convoy, advertised as a peaceful assembly in prayer, will start on January the 29th. That'll be today, with plans to be uh, to be at their final destinations near the border crossings of Eagle Pass, Yuma, Arizona, and San Ysidro, California, for a rally on February the third. The convoy organizers said they strongly condemn any violence and that the event is meant to bring our country together in love, kindness, and peace. The event organizers also said they are calling an active, all active, and retired. Law enforcement and military, veterans, mama bears, elected officials, uh, business owners, ranchers, truckers, bikers, uh, media and law abiding, freedom loving Americans to participate as they call for the government to take action to secure the border. Governors from more than two dozen dozen states last week signed a statement supporting uh, Texas Governor uh, Greg Abbott and his constitutional right to self-defense at the southern border. It's unclear how many people plan to participate, but but it's a whole bunch. The biggest concern, of course, is how is the government going to react? Uh, if they react like they did in Canada, they're going to be harassed, not by people uh, in uh, in the in the public sector, but more by uh, the government. Unfortunately, And I'm sure that's their big concern. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schumann, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. And now serving dinner, 4 to 8 p.m. Wednesdays through Saturdays, a terrific menu. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. 4541.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty. Personal Responsibility, Limited Government, and the Rule of Law. Coming up, we're going to visit with John Miltimore. He is the editor-at-large at Fee.org. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. I hope you check it out. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
2: Always a pleasure, Bob.
1: So, Mark, for all these many years, and I think we're exceeding 15 years on Monday morning, we talk about current global events I'd like the listeners to know that uh, you're in Tel Aviv right now. And uh, let's start off with uh, Israel and, uh, and and what's going on there.
2: Okay, this is, of course, a multi-front issue. So we'll start with um, Gaza, where that war continues. Israel is um, attempting to uh, finalize the last part of, or not the last, but the second-to-last area that's controlled still by Hamas, which is Khan Yunus. Uh the problem Israel is finding is uh the Hamas has built six hundred kilometers, so that's about four hundred miles of tunnels under under Gaza. And keep in mind Gaza is much, much you know, is basically the size of a very large US city. Yeah. So just imagine that. Um it's much more there are more tunnels under Gaza than there are the US there are on New York City subway system. Unbelievable. Uh, So that's part of the problem in trying to get, you know, fighting there is very difficult. The original Israeli plans was not to go into the tunnels and fight, because you lose a lot of the advantages Israel has, but they're being forced to do that. Um, But somewhat successfully, but it's taking time. And um, in the meantime, uh, what's come out in the last uh, couple of days, which is a result of the intelligence that Israel gathered from capturing other parts of of Gaza and capturing a lot of uh, intelligence material, is that a significant portion of UNRWA employees, that's the United Nations Relief uh, for Relief Organization in, in Gaza and in the West Bank and in other parts, uh, are been members of Hamas and have been working with them, and some of them put uh, took part in the massacre yes. on October 7th. And as a result of that information, the United States and most of Western European countries and Japan have for the meantime cut off funding for UNRWA. Now UNRWA itself is an organization that should never have even existed. What do I mean by that? UNRWA was established in nineteen forty eight in the midst of the uh, Israel's war of independence when mm-hmm. refugees were created as a result of the war. Uh all other UN uh the general UN refugee organization that exists. Um they Palestinians did not want the Arabs at the point at that point did not want um uh, did not want them to deal with the refugees because the other refugee organizations, the, may, the overriding goal is to resettle the refugees in new places. UNRWA cannot work to resettle the refugees. They can only do is perpetuate their status as refugees. And so you, in every other UN, res, every other UN uh, refugee organization, the refugee is the person who has moved from the home. Yeah. In UNRWA... We go down where five generations of people, those great great grandchildren of those who left their homes or were pushed out of their homes in 1948, are still considered refugees, yeah. and still get funded, still get educated. And river itself is run by the Palestinians, who have no interest in ending that. Right. So, so you have a virtuous cycle of a UN agency run by Palestinians who want to maintain the refugee status and don't want them to officially um, integrate. Into the countries they've been living in for seventy years, in some cases. As a matter of fact, I saw one person tweet out um, that uh, it was it would be a violation of his human rights if he was given citizenship in whatever country—Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt—because he needs to maintain his status as a refugee, and that's his human right to maintain that status.
1: Huh. And so, the, I mean, so, the problem right now is if apparently these countries stop contributing, this agency won't be able to provide funding for we're able
2: to act and course, it's, a re- it's not an easy situation because yeah. there is no other organization who can provide particularly in Gaza or anywhere else um, provide the schooling provide the um, food and you know distribute aid and all those things so we need to need a real rethinking of this whole situation um, and that's not going to be easy to be done and of course in the middle of a water is even more difficult um, but clearly you know what well, all the statistics that have been coming out of Gaza in terms of how many dead there are and all those things have all been coming either from UNRWA or from Hamas. Right. So it brings in a lot of questions, all these numbers that people are running around talking about the atrocities, and most of those numbers are just false.
1: Oh, Mark, the, the other that's, thing, not
2: to say women, that's not to say yeah, innocents have not been killed, but right. not in anything the numbers that they've talked about.
1: Uh, I, I, Definitely, that were, those were my thoughts, actually, about that, what was going on there, especially reporting from the health ministry from Gaza. But uh,
2: Look, at the, the health ministry reports, let's go with those numbers, right? Let's assume it's right, although as someone said no one has ever been able to give an accurate number of people killed in the middle of urban warfare. But let's just accept that number of 23,000 right. for the moment. But Israel uh, believes it has killed, including the ones that were killed, on October 7th in Israel, at least 10,000 Hamas terrorists. Yeah. So that brings the number back down to 13,000. Right. Now, 23,000 is the number of people who, were, who died in Gaza during this period of time. That includes the people who died from accidental uh, firings of Hamas missiles that landed inside Gaza. 10% of their missiles landed inside Gaza. Yeah. That includes the people who died from natural causes. But, you know, the the press has easily taken this number. Israel has killed 23,000 civilians. Yeah, very,
1: very frustrating. So, Mark, there's also this report of uh, having a two-month pause to return uh, hostages from uh, Hamas, uh, about 100 of them apparently who need medical help and so forth, uh, in exchange for a two-month pause. Is there any any truth to that?
2: Okay, so there are all sorts of plans that have been floated in the last couple of days. Mm-hmm. There's the two-month plan and just the humanitarian. There's a complete end of the, end of the fighting that will, in stages, that will eventually get all of the all of the hostages out. So far, Hamas has not been willing to talk about anything that doesn't include a complete uh, Israeli withdrawal from Gaza, a guarantee that they stay in uh, control of Gaza, and a complete and total end of the war. That is their their term. They have not moved from that term. So everybody has been talking about all these other options, and yeah. hopefully one of them will come about, but all of it is just talk so far. Yeah. And sometimes there's hope that the talk itself will move things along, but I'm not sure in this case it'll happen. Yeah, so,
1: that sounds like it's, it's dead getting... on arrival. So, Mark, you need to take just a little break here. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: For more of the Bob Harton Show Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network
1: Are you looking to buy or sell a home? This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near-record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller, your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. Megan and Matt Chionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-5310. That's 239-269-5310.
0: Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Tim Garrett, candidate for Collier County Supervisor of Elections. He's a 33-year resident of Collier County, a military veteran, a retired sheriff's officer, and a graduate of the FBI National Academy. Tim stands for Safe, Secure, Ethical Elections in Collier County. Vote for Tim Garrett and check out his website, votefortimgarrett.com. Paid for by Tim Garrett, Republican for Collier County Supervisor of Elections. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure. So, Mark, uh, there's other things going on in Israel. That we've also got uh, uh, what's happening with uh, Hezbollah, as well as this attack right. so, on the U.S. So
2: Hezbollah continues to fire missiles into Israel at the towns along the border, which have been evacuated, but causing substantial damage. Uh, so far, an attempt at reaching a negotiated settlement with them has not succeeded. The United States has sent a negotiator. The Hezbollah has refused to agree to any of those terms. Uh, the question is Israel is preparing in some medium term to take on Hezbollah militarily, but it really doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reality is Hezbollah has tens of thousands of missiles, Israel has a missile defense system. But it will be very expensive, and some of those missiles are obviously going to get through because ten thousand, you know, tens of thousands of missiles at some point you can overwhelm the, the defense system. So that is a concern. It's not clear where where that's going to go forward. Uh, then you know, again, we have something that's all tied together. Of course, is of course the Houthis in the south, mm-hmm. uh, and the Houthis continue to attack uh, international shipping. They attacked another ship today, and uh, despite the fact that the U.S. and the U.K. Have, uh, have been uh, attacking them, and despite the fact that even the Chinese at this point are trying to protect uh, ships in the Gulf of Aden and the Red Sea because this is beginning to really affect world, congr- world commerce mm-hmm. in a big way. And world commerce, a lot of it coming from China because uh, product that was going from China to Europe is now forced to spend an extra week and a half to two weeks at sea by going around the Horn of Africa. So everybody has an interest in stopping the Houthis except the Iranians, and the Iranians are the chaos agent. Mm-hmm. And so then we've seen, you know, yesterday an Iranian, Iranian-sponsored attack on a small American base that sits basically at the corner of Iraq, Syria, and Jordan. Uh, the U.S. has a couple of bases in the area, small bases with small numbers of servicemen. They are there to keep an eye on ISIS to stop the, the, the ISIS from rising again. ISIS was not wiped out, as some people think. It's just been limited to a very large extent, and the U.S. forces are there really to, as an intelligence more than anything else and a rapid force to attack any significant ISIS target as they develop. The Iranians, even though ISIS is their enemy, and ISIS had a bombing in Tehran uh, two weeks ago killing many Iranians, they want to do anything they can to get U.S. forces out of the Middle East completely. Mm. Um and um, this is where we stand Absolutely. they they're attacked they had attacked many times over the last uh two or three months in most case in almost all cases, the drones were shot down uh, well a few cases there were some minor injuries this time however, for reasons that are unclear yet uh, the drones got
3: through'
2: yeah. uh, killing three servicemen and wounding thirty four additional servicemen. So now the question is, you know, what are you doing, you know, how do you respond to something like that uh, without going to all-out war with Iran? Um, and so that's an open question. One of the interesting ideas that people have been talking about is the fact there's an Iranian spy ship sitting in the Gulf of Aden that is basically the eyes and ears of the Houthis, of who they can attack. Mm-hmm. It seemed to me that it's probably about the right time for that ship to hit a, hit a rock, maybe, or something vaporized. else.
1: Vaporize?
3: <laughs> yeah. Just
2: disappear would be a good thing for that ship to do. That would be a proper response yeah. that would not result in a war with Iran, but would tell them uh, we're serious. So we'll see what the what the Biden administration will decide to do.
1: You know, it's kind of scary, though, to hear some of the senators that are calling for immediate knee-jerk reaction to bomb Tehran. Uh, you'd like to see cooler heads prevail. and uh, Right,
2: absolutely. It's, it's just not smart. I mean, let's put it... Listen, you can't do nothing... Uh, and you also can't get into a full-fledged war with Iran. Right? Uh, that'll bring the price of oil to—I don't want to think what what heights. In
1: the United States,
2: you know, not that it would be overextended right now, but it would not be good. No. Uh, let's put it that way. And no one wants another war.
1: Absolutely. Let's let's move to uh, Ukraine and what's happening.
2: Okay, so Ukraine um, very much is, is, is a long-distance war right now. There's on the on the battlefront. The middle of the winter, there's slight Russian advances. The Ukrainians are being very successful in long-range attacks of Russian sources, even deep into Russia at this point, point. and so that's causing some pain. The Russians are trying to respond by not uh, uh, even respond. Their, their plan was to, was to hit all of Ukrainian electrical grid in the middle of the winter and to to put the Ukrainians, you know, in, without electricity in the middle of the winter and all those things that are related. Um, So far, they've been using Iranian drones. They're making their own at this point, to some extent. Uh, So that's going forward. Ukraine is, of course, worried about Congress and worried about the possibility of Trump coming to power, and so is all of Europe. Um, Europeans are now giving more than the United States is to Ukraine, both in terms of arms and in terms of money, as opposed to the lies that have been told. The Europeans are now giving as much and the Europeans are planning on defense of NATO without the possibility of the United States in case Russia actually comes and attacks hmm. NATO. Uh, there is a real concern at this point.
1: You have any comments uh, about about the, uh, the the charge of? Uh corruption and uh, stealing 40 million dollars and so forth from the ukraine okay
2: there is corruption everywhere how much corruption is there in the u.s government lots of contracts how many contracts, <laughs> lots. How ma- how many contracts of, you know the golden uh, you know uh, the golden toilets all the stuff that goes on in the u.s contracting world yes 40 million dollars but but the people have been arrested yeah let's keep that in mind you know over a over a question of 100 billion dollars 40 million dollars is not a lot of money yeah and, and keep in mind, in most cases, U.S. Mo- U.S. money doesn't go for that. By the way, U.S. money um, goes basically to buy U.S. M- uh, munitions. What happens with the US, what happens with the money that's le- allocated to Ukraine is the United States transfers, for the sake of argument, a tank to Ukraine, and the U.S. government buys a new tank for the U.S. Army.
1: Yeah,
2: etc. so et You, you, you think, go all the way through it. That's that's the aid to, to Ukraine. It's almost. 90, except for the money that goes for the, to support the government in various projects, almost all the military aid is literally American armaments that are currently being used by the U.S. armed forces, and then the money goes to replace those
1: armaments. Right. So, Mark, before I let you go, though, I do want to get your comments on what's happening in North Korea. Apparently the people are starving to death in North Korea. The people con- are
2: starving to death. The North Koreans are getting even more belligerent. Mm-hmm. There is a sense, a fear that... North Korea might actually be considering an attack on South Korea. Hmm. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there really seems to be a, a real concern for the first time in a generation that they might actually do that. Obviously, that would solve their, their, their starving problem. I mean, half their people will be killed, and the rest uh, will uh, take from the South Koreans if they could. So we don't really know, but it's a real concern. It's a concern we have to keep in mind at this point. You know, we have a problem in the world right now, primarily of rogue states, yeah. more than anything else. Iran, North Korea, Russia has become a rogue state. China is a China not a rogue state. China is an an, a, an actor that acts in its own interest in various ways, but it never does things that are crazy. At least up until now. Right. Um, these rogue states are really a very a very big problem, and these rogue states, as technology improves, you know, North Korea has atomic weapons now. What crazy things could he possibly do, right, with atomic weapons?
1: Especially with the support um, of uh, Russia.
2: Right, but then, okay, then I can, Russia's not going to support that. Uh, obviously, Russia spent the whole Cold War not wanting to get into a nuclear confrontation with the United States because they know what that means. Right. And I, as much as I despise Putin and think he's, you know, a very evil person in so many different ways, he's not irrational. Right. I do not know whether I can say that about Kim Jong Un. No, I just don't know.
1: But he, I the don't thing think anyone is, knows. The thing is, their GDP is reduced for, uh, substantially in the last couple of years, and the, it, the system is just not working. And it just makes me wonder how long the uh, North Korean populace will put up with that kind of leadership.
2: Uh, they put up with it for you know a generation.
1: Yeah, I know, I know. But sooner or later you know it just takes a spark of something for uh for
2: eh, you know it's if we look back in the histories of in absolute dictatorships it's been very very difficult to overthrow yeah very difficult so especially in a country that has absolutely no history of being anything but a dictatorship
1: right a difficult situation oh. indeed, Mark. Well, I wish we had more time. We have so much more to talk about, but I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. i recommend to our listeners visiting your website, historycentral.com, multimedia website, good for kids of all ages, including you and I. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
2: My pleasure, Bob. Everyone have a great week.
1: Thank you so much, Mark. All right, coming up, I'm going to visit with John Miltimore. He is the editor-at-large for org. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America.
0: to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob
1: Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. You can find out more and get some tickets to some great upcoming performances. The website is gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and now author of Murder Mysteries, they're great, Right now we have with us John Miltimore. John is the editor-at-large for Fee.org. John, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, good morning, Bob. Great to be with you. Thank you so much, John. Tell us about Fee.org.
4: Yeah, Fee's been around since uh, 1946. Um, Our mission is to educate the next generation on the importance of economics, individualism, and and freedom, uh, which are all ingredients that are necessary for a, a free and open society.
1: Terrific organization. Again, FEE.org, F-E-E.org. So, John, you read a really interesting piece. Javier Malay, of course, the uh, new uh, president of Argentina, his message to the collectus, he just went to the, right into the eye of the storm in Davos. He says, you are the problem. Maybe you could tell us about it.
4: Yeah, you know, everything Malay is doing today is, is of interest to me. <laughs> it is just such a fascinating story. You know, he was, as you say, elected president in the country, um, that is struggling mod- mightily with, with poverty and inflation. Um, and he's, you know, promised uh, uh, an injection of, of free market economics to turn things around, and he's really delivering. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is an antidote we, we need all over the world, and that's sort of why he was in, in Davos. Um, that was his message, you know, where, where people were gathering there for the, the World Economic Forum, where every year you have a bunch of people, leaders from around the world, they – they get together in Davos and they fly into their planes and then then give speeches on, on how to fix the world. And, you know, um, some people have been critical of, of Malay for, for, for going there or in the past consulting, but we need voices like Malay right. over there. And, uh, the, 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 there's no question. These, these are influential people. These are powerful people. And, um, you'll see people, you know, that are there once in a while, they, they pay lip service towards like, like freedom. Um, Malay gave something that that was, I think, much much different. Um, he he began his speech by saying, um, "The world is is in danger, and it's danger in danger because of collectivism." Mm-hmm. Um, and, he, and he gave several examples. Um, and you know, my article looked at this a little bit. I don't know. Maybe listeners are, are familiar with the world, world Economic Forum. Maybe they're not. Um, but I spent some time last week and the week before just just watching speeches there. Mm-hmm. Um and these people are are like everyone else like I think they want a better world but if you if you look at their speeches the way they plan to do this is is uniform it's it's through it's through force it's, it's through more taxes more bans more control over over the global economy and in, in Malay's, you know, speech was, was just a, the opposite of that. And, and uh, it, it was a beautiful speech that, and just, you know, I, I think, you know, the point of my article was just say, he's talking to those people there. Right. And maybe some of them brushed off his speech. Maybe some of them heard it. Um, and, um, you know, I think j- just a, a final point here. Uh, he didn't just say collectivism is the problem. Um, and he didn't just give a few talking points about freedom. He gave a very, very clear definition on, on what freedom is. And, and he, you know, he talks openly about libertarianism and, um, you know, for a long time, I don't think there was a lot of people giving libertarianism, um, you know, paying much attention to it, at least seriously. Um, Malay is, and, and he, you know, just to touch on it for a minute here, he said, libertarium is the unrestricted, respect for the life project of others based on the principle of non-aggression in defense of the right to life, liberty, and property. It's fundamental institutions are private par- property, markets in- free from state intervention, free competition, in the division of labor. And he goes on and, and, and spelled it out. I think a lot of people have never really thought about that deeply. So mm-hmm. I, I do hope people there were listening.
1: So do we have any indication that they did? Was there any kind of response, official response from the stage? Well,
4: um, I did see. You know, even um, Klaus Schwab had had some <laughs> some nice things to say about it. Um, I, I think he, his, his response was a little bit cagey. Um, he didn't want to say he agreed with everything you know Malay right, said, right. but but he did he did say something nice. And um, I didn't see wild applause or anything like that. But, it, but I do hope there was people that they, that they were listening and, and that they dig deeper. And I say you don't have to be somebody from the World Economic Forum to do this. I think. I can do this. I think Americans can do this mm-hmm. and say, OK, we, we talk about freedom. We've been talking about it for for hundreds of years. Why is it important? Um, and to think about it and to, and to take the idea seriously enough to really study and understand it better, because I think that's how we prevent the, the sort of uh, collapse that, that Malay fears and, and certainly that Argentina has has experienced.
1: You know, and I really respect him because what he is, uh, he just demonstrated true leadership by going right to the eye of the storm, going right and right there where, where of course, they're promoting collectivism. They're promoting the whole idea of a world government, the whole idea of uh, collapsing other governments around the world, open borders. They're promoting all the things that are going to be deleterious, I think, to the, to the success and well-being of the United States of America. I just really appreciate that kind of leadership.
4: Yeah, it is impressive, because I'll be honest, let's say... Let's say somebody Klaus Schwab reached out to me and said, "Hey, uh, John, I want to give you a chance. You're going to give a, a speech here at the World Economic Forum next year." My my temptation, I think, would be to distill the message a little bit, or um, to, to to not give this this an undiluted you know speech about freedom because I think that's natural. You're going into, as you say, hostile territory, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe you're trying to, to. But he didn't. Malay didn't do any of that. He gave them the straight dope. He he, he said exactly what needed to be said. And I think we need more politicians that, that have the courage to do that, that the, the, these are the right ideas. Um, you know, and, and, and I'm going to share them, and, and, and not like we see that all the time over over in here in this country. People that are elected sort of on these messages. Well, as soon as they get to Washington, the you know like the, the the libertarian parts of their their philosophy start to come come apart. Um, and we need people like Malay that are just going to give the message. And, the, and it, it's really no no more important now than ever. I don't think people appreciate. Just how uh some of the clouds forming here, when you have a thirty five trillion dollar federal debt and people uh just want to keep you know making that debt larger, we have serious problems here that need to be addressed.
1: Yeah, there's no question, and, and what what I appreciate is how bad things are here things are even worse in argentina and he's taken over a situation which is really in ruins and quite frankly he's a, a, approaching the entire situation with courage he's eliminated federal agencies he's going to eliminate a lot of the uh, the federal workforce and so forth he's got he's wants to open up get rid of uh, uh, cronyism and all all the things that are corrupting his country right now i'm really pulling for him and uh, he's got a tough job to do
4: no, I, I agree. And Malay really is exceeding my highest expectations. Yeah. I had hopes he might be something like this. He is delivering right now, yeah. and he is showing the rest of us a blueprint. So, um, you know, let, let's keep watching what's going on over there. And, and, and hopefully in, in the matter of the next few years, our Argentina can uh, turn things around and people can see, you know, just what free market economics can do.
1: Wouldn't that be wonderful? It would be great to see inflation down to a reasonable number and see him all of a sudden seeing exports and all types of things. So again, John, just a great column. And I must say, I'm just really impressed with the volume of quality material that you're turning out. I refer our listeners to your website, fee.org. John Miltimore, again, thank you so much for joining us here on the show hey great being with you bob really appreciate you having me on my pleasure indeed thank you john all right coming up jim mctagg former barons washington bureau chief and author of many uh murder mysteries that and more right here on the bob Harden show on the bob Harden broadcasting network
0: stay tuned for more of the bob Harden show here on the bob hardin broadcasting network back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They help prepare elected officials to have winning strategies in their elected office. And you can find out more by visiting the website vfga.com. Dot org. We have with us Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, and now he's retired and writing murder mysteries, and they are terrific. His first is Follow the Leader, its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, and its sequel and his latest is No Problem. Jim McTagg, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
3: It's a pleasure, Bob. I, I'm thinking here, pretending that I'm an advisor to Donald Trump. Mm. How How? It, and and it looks like, you know, he has the nomination sewn up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think he's making some uh, fatal mistakes, uh, two fatal mistakes. Uh, he wants uh, Nikki Haley out of the race. I think uh, that's a, a blunder. And he also um, doesn't want the Republicans in Congress to consummate a border deal with the Democrats. And that's a huge mistake as well. I think... Uh, um uh, he would benefit first of all by having haley stay in the race two two reasons uh, by looking at her performance in more populated states i mean new hampshire and iowa are really not good uh gauges for the for, for the the mood of the country but by seeing how she uh appeals to independents in larger states, even if he blows her away, mm-hmm. uh, will will just accentuate his weaknesses and allow him to tweak his campaign to win these people over because he cannot beat Joe Biden without the independents.
1: Number one. So, Jim, Jim but Jim, uh, here's the thing. I mean, he's they wanted to make him the, uh, the. This is the Republican Party wanted to make him the provisional or the. The winner of the uh, of the nomination, he basically said, "No, I want her to stay. I want to stay in the race as long as it goes on. I want to win the old-fashioned way." I think the way he put it. Yeah,
3: but he he continually denigrates her and says, "Why is she still in the race?" Um, it's actually he would do better to ignore her <laughs> and uh, completely and let her remain in in the in the race again, so he can use her as a thermometer. Uh-huh. And, and and tweak his message uh, going for, forward. So in number two, mm-hmm. there's a senator from Oklahoma, James Lankford, mm-hmm. who I met James Lankford the first year he was uh, in Congress. He's a senator now, but he was first elected a congressman mm-hmm. from Oklahoma in 210. I'm sure you're familiar with him. He's, he's an ordained Baptist minister. Um uh, He's one of the most serious, trustworthy lawmakers that I had ever met. Hmm. You know, in thirty-five years of covering uh, Congress and, and the White House, I mean, he—he's—he's he, deadly serious. He has a face that uh, only Grant Woods could paint, and <laughs> it—you know—an an American Gothic uh, serious face. Face. There's no um, frivolity about this man. Mm-hmm. And as a senator, he's led Republicans in negotiating a border deal with the Democrats. So it's it's a Republican plan, um, and it's been forced on the Democrats by Republicans who are withholding funding on Ukraine and, and, and other uh, priorities of the Democratic Party. So what it says is Republicans can get things done yeah. <laughs> for the good of the country. So so. For for Trump to say uh, let's not consummate that deal is a big mistake because well, but show- here's
1: the thing, Jim. The GOP in Oklahoma has basically censored him and said that this is a bad deal. He needs a PR firm because the first thing they lead with if we're going to allow five thousand people in per day in, at the at the border. I mean, to, to me, if in fact this is a good deal, he's certainly not selling it well.
3: Yeah, well, five thousand people is a drop in the bucket. I mean. You, but I, I'm not going to argue immigration policy here. But you know, with demographics and, and baby boomers uh, going to the great beyond, we do need an infusion of intelligent, <laughs> productive uh, immigrants. So, so you know, we don't want to put ourselves in a in a bubble, but. Oh, you had a couple. Of, you had
1: a couple of good qualifiers there. We, intelligent and productive. You know what are we doing to screen these people that are coming over here Ill- illegally? We need legal immigration. And of course, what uh, uh, Johnson says, Speaker Johnson says, is we we need to page, uh, pass HR two, which was passed by the House of Representatives last year.
3: Well, well, the other old argument is don't let uh, the the perfect be the enemy of the good. So, um, again, I th- I think that Trump should uh, actually form a partnership with Langford. And if I were to pick a, if I were advising Trump on a vice presidential pick, it would be Senator James Langford of Oklahoma, fifty five years old, trustworthy, serious, intelligent. I mean, there is uh, the type of person who could salvage the uh, Republican Party in the future. Uh, when there is no Donald Trump.
1: Hmm. Interesting point of view. And I, and for our listeners' benefit, that may not be aware, of, uh, uh, Jim comes pretty close to being a no-Trumper, never-Trumper. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, th- in fairness, of this part of this, I'm sure, idea comes from the whole notion about your attitude towards Trump, which I, I'm sure you'd prefer not to have him as our president. Well, he won't be
3: our president, is my point. It, you know, Magna is uh, too small a movement to win an election and even a goofball like uh, joe biden and his comic sidekick kamala harris can beat trump in a general election because the woke left and i'm not a member of the woke left i'm, I'm, I'm trying to be clinically detached here mm-hmm. uh the woke left is too big uh, there are too many of them the demographics favor the woke left so so that you know trump even though he's He's just, uh, you know, roaring through the uh, Republican primaries, and, and he he does not have enough votes in a general election to beat the lefties. That, that's my point.
1: Mm. And what is the source of that information? Because to, to me, it seems like he's an overwhelming favorite to win this election.
3: No, it's just demographics and polls, which you know you can't rely on. It's it's you know it's it's my assessment of. Uh, the information i have at hand which is always imperfect because yeah. uh, the world the world is always uh, much more complex than we appreciate
1: yeah, so, that that is certainly true my my point of view is that right now most people i think realize that the country is in trouble, not only uh, domestically with our policy and our debt and so forth, but also internationally with all the things that are breaking out around the world. And I think uh, for the most part, many people are saying, you know, with all his warts and pimples, we need Donald Trump back because we've got to fix things that have been pretty much broken here for the last three years.
3: No, I I agree with you there, but I think the uh, the younger generations who lean strongly to the left just outnumber uh, the older generation that supports Trump if you look at the demographics uh, Trump support among the young is is not as great as the uh, Democratic party's uh, young membership that's, that's that's my point that yeah. now if if people say throw up their hands like I'm inclined to do and not vote at all because they don't like either candidate Trump probably wins uh because well, you that not yeah.
1: The final vote comes up in November, <laughs> so we'll we'll find exactly how this turns out. But I don't think there's uh, any, it's certainly going to be Trump on the Republican Party, so we'll see how this all turns out. Jim McTagg, uh, go okay, ahead. Okay. Last word, Jim. I was going to say,
3: uh, one thing your listeners should take away from this is investigate Jim Lankford. Look uh, at him.
1: I certainly will. Jim McTagg, again, uh, his latest book, No Problem. Jim, I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did and learned a lot. I hope you join us tomorrow. We've got some great guests lined up, including our Florida State Senate President, Kathleen Pazidomo, Seton Motley, the founder and president of West Government, will be joining us as well. Uh, Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.